This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word, go with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Nehemiah, and find, if you would please, Nehemiah chapter number 2. Nehemiah chapter number 2, and our, our daily Bible reading, uh, we've just completed Nehemiah and Esther, and now we are into the book of Job, but uh, in our Wednesday night series, as we're going through the Bible, uh, I'm preaching passages that we're reading that week. And uh, I began Wednesday night with uh, a message from the book of Nehemiah chapter number 13 on godly leadership and the need for leadership. And uh, Lord willing, I'll, I'll complete that on Wednesday. Uh, if you will remember those of you who have been here for 10 years, by the way, if you were here when I came uh, as pastor 10 years ago, I'd like to ask you to do something for me. Would you please stand if you were here uh, 10 years ago and uh, God bless you. Thank you so very much. I appreciate that and love you all. Thank God for you. Thank you so much. And uh, the first book of the Bible that I preached through, I preached some messages before I got into that book. But the first book of the Bible that I preached through was the book of Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah is one of my favorite, if not my favorite book. And of course, Nehemiah is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, my only regret is that that's the book I first preached when I came here because I don't think I uh, even got close to doing it justice. And uh, maybe uh, I'll get another crack at it uh, here sometime in the future. But in Nehemiah chapter number two, I'd like for us to revisit this passage. And, and let me just give you a little background as we're, as we're finding Nehemiah chapter two and verse number 11. Uh, Nehemiah lived about 2,500 years ago. Uh, Nehemiah was a Jew. He lived during the time of captivity of the Jews. You remember, uh, and those of you who, who have not become familiar with the Bible, uh, we'll need to understand the Jews were God's people. And uh, there they were to worship and honor and glorify God. And through their testimony and their witness and, the, and their God, they were to reveal to a pagan world who the true and the living God was. Just as the church today. The church is God's people. And we are to make known uh, the wonderful glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world. And that was God's purpose with Israel and uh, with the Jews, and that's God's purpose with his people today. And the Jews, because of their, their stubbornness and their hard-heartedness and because of their sin and their idolatry and the fact that they had been warned many, many times yet turned away from the Lord and disobeyed the Lord, God brought them uh, to a point of captivity where the Babylonians came in and carried them away captive some 2,600 years ago. And uh, Jerusalem 
uh, was no longer uh, as it was. It was a, a city controlled by other countries. First the Babylonians, then the Persians. Uh, now as we come to Nehemiah, we find that Nehemiah is a Jew, but he's living in captivity. He is a servant, uh, a captive outside of his own land. And he is serving in the palace of the Persian king. God has placed him in that place. And God has touched the heart of the Persian king to allow the Jews to return to Jerusalem. And as they returned to Jerusalem, he told them he wanted them to rebuild the temple of God. And so God was at work even through the captivity and through the return so that he might rebuild the temple and so that God could be worshipped and adored and praised as he so richly deserves. And so that the testimony of God and the teaching of God's truth and God's law could once again fill the land. And therefore, people would hear it, understand it, and come to know the Lord. That's God's plan. And so Nehemiah is serving in the palace of the Persian king during this time. And the temple has been rebuilt, but there's a big problem. The walls of the city have not been rebuilt. And so God touches the heart of a man named Nehemiah to go into Jerusalem and, and lead the people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And they build those walls in 52 days. And uh, there are many reformations that take place. And, and, and God works among his people. And by the way, God is going to use this to pave the way for the time of the coming of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is a very important event. In, in human history. This is a, a very important event in God's redemptive plan. And so as we think about this story that took place 2,600 years ago, what does it have to do with us today? And that's what we're praying that God will help us to understand. And so I want you to look with me, if you would, please, in, in chapter 2 and verse number 11. And if the story begins here in verse number 11, or we begin our, our passage here in verse number 11, with Nehemiah as he comes to Jerusalem for the first time. In verse number 11, the Bible said, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. <clears throat> and I arose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, serve the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, into the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. And then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. So as we read these words, we're beginning to see that the city is really in a, in a situation of great destruction. And, and there's, there's, no, there's no way for, for Nehemiah to even ride on, on an animal, uh, whether it be a horse or a donkey, there, there's no way for him to ride through the city and around the walls to survey what needs to be done. He has to walk through the rubble and through the damage. In verse 15, Then went I up by the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. 
And so he goes, he comes, uh, Nehemiah comes into Jerusalem and, and, and there's no doubt the people of Jerusalem took note. Here's this man, this representative uh, of the king of Persia and he comes with uh, a, a, a group that is, is accompanying him. He, he comes with some building materials as we're going to find out. He, he comes with uh, uh, some armed guards, some people to, to protect him. And so this is a big happening and they're wondering what in the world this guy's doing and he's, he's taking his beast up and down and, and surveying the city but he hasn't told anybody why he's there. Don't you imagine they wondered why he was there? In verse 17, then said I unto them, ye see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lieth waste. and The gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. And then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. It was also the king's words that he'd spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse number 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. Amen. I want to speak to you a little bit this morning on this subject. The hand of my God was good upon me. The hand of my God was good upon me. And uh, I, I think, I'm thankful for my son who told me today, he said, Dad, this is your 10th anniversary. You get one minute for every year to preach today. <laughs> That's very kind, isn't it? The hand of my God was good upon me. Nehemiah came to that city. That was the city of David. That was the place where the people of God lived and dwelt. That's where David ruled and Solomon ruled. That's where the temple was constructed. That's where if people wanted to know who the true and the living God was, they could learn about him in Jerusalem through the people of Israel and through the Jews. But because of their sin, because they drifted away from the Lord, God brought judgments upon them. And that city which was distinct from every city in the earth because God was there. That city had now become a reproach, the Bible tells us in Nehemiah chapter number one. And the walls were broken down and those walls were very important because they served as barriers that protected uh, the citizens but they also, uh, they were boundaries for the citizens. The enemy could not come in, but the citizens knew what the boundaries were. There was distinction. There was distinction within those walls. And the distinction was that they knew the true and the living God. And they had his word. And they had his laws. And there were enemies who did not like that distinctiveness and that distinction. And by the way, those enemies are at work today. They're the enemies who tell us that uh, we should be pluralistic and that all gods uh, will lead us to heaven and that as long as we're sincere and we mean well, everything's going to be okay. And who are you to preach that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation? You see, those enemies still exist and they were at work in Jerusalem 25, 2600 years ago. And God touched this man because he wanted him 
to go back and together with the people of Jerusalem and those were the only people who could do it, do the work of God. And by the way, I like the way Nehemiah said it in verse 18, this good work. Can I tell you that the work of God is a good work? I think about when the Lord created uh, man and and in six days, and by the way, I believe the Bible, Amen? amen? I believe what the Bible says about creation. And uh, listen, if the devil can get you to deny what God said in the beginning of the book, he can get you to deny what God said throughout the book and at the end of the book. I believe the Bible is the word of God. And God created the heavens and the earth. And every day God looked upon what he made, and this is what he said about it, it was good. Can I tell you that God does nothing uh, that is not good? (laughs) Everything he does is good. And the only one who can do anything good is God. And if you want your life to be counted for good, if you want to be involved in the greatest possible work in human history, there's only one work that you can be involved in. That is the work of God. And it's a good work. It's a good work. Uh, Many people are involved in many, many pursuits and many, many labors today. I think about Solomon Solomon was the wealthiest man. He made Bill Gates look like a pauper. And he was the wisest man. And he had all the things the world, accomplishments and wealth, and and, uh, he had a thousand wives. My goodness. But he turned away from God, and he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And in that book, this is what he said. He said, life apart from God, life lived outside of the will of God, life lived without a a relationship with the Lord, life lived just for self. He said, it is altogether vain. It is empty. It is meaningless. And this is what he said, the wealthiest man who ever lived, the wisest man who ever lived outside the Lord Jesus. This is what he said. He said, I hated life. By the way, there are a lot of people who hate life, aren't there? We, we read that the suicide rate, and we've seen some uh, people of notoriety in our culture who've recently taken their own lives. And the sad truth is that's happening every day. And they tell us that the suicide rates are increasing in this day. We have more mental health care professionals and more mental health care treatments than we've ever had, but yet we have more mental health care problems than we've ever had. Why is that? It is because we have turned away from God. And so Nehemiah, he hears about the city. It's it's in reproach, and God works in his life to go and with the people in Jerusalem rebuild the walls. Now, I want us to see three things, and we'll move quickly. Number one, I want you to see the hand of God. Then I told him, he said, of the hand of God, verse 18, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, that is the people, let us rise up and build, so they strengthened their hands for this good work. I want you to see that this work of God was not done by the hands of men, although the hands of men were involved in it. This work was done by the hand of God. 
And I want to tell you that if this church is going to be what the Lord Jesus Christ wants this church to be, and if I as a pastor am going to be what God wants me to be, or as a father, or as a husband, or if you as a, as a father, or a husband, or a wife, uh, or a child, uh, or as a mother, as a grandparent, if we're going to be what God wants us to be, and if we're going to do what God really wants us to do, then we have to understand it will only be accomplished by the good hand of our God. And we see the hand of God at work here. Now, in chapter number one, and we won't take time to go through there, but we're going to find out that Nehemiah begins this book telling us he is in the palace of the king of Persia. And he's working for the king. He is the king's cupbearer. That means he's a trusted man. He was an advisor to the king, but he served the king his drink, his beverage. And he tasted his food. And he's trying to make sure that the king doesn't get poisoned. How would you like that job, huh? Especially if the king had a lot of enemies. And to be the cupbearer, you had to be a person of integrity. You had to be a trusted confidant of the king. Can I tell you, it was the good hand of God that placed that Jew in that position in the palace of the Persian king. It was the good hand of God. It was the good hand of God that gave him the ability to stand before the king, uh, the, 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 the presence that he would need and the skills that he would need and, and the wisdom he would need and the talent that he would need, God gave him that. God placed him there by his sovereign hand. God uh, gave him the ability. God gave him the opportunity to win the confidence of the king and to win his trust. And you see, all of these are important things as we look through the narrative because what we're going to find is that God uses all these things that he did in the life of Nehemiah for the good of the people. It's an amazing thing when you consider it. And let me tell you, the time that you're living and the place you are right now and the family you have, that is not an accident. That is the good hand of God upon your life. God is at work in your life right now. And his purpose is to draw you to himself so that you might know him. God is at work and God was working in the life of Nehemiah. We find that Nehemiah was in the palace and he met one of his brothers, one of his Jewish brothers. And he says to them, how are things in Jerusalem? And so they give him the report that the city is in reproach. You see, it was the good hand of God that brought those men through the palace. It was the good hand of God that burdened the heart of Nehemiah. Because when he heard how it was in Jerusalem, he didn't say, well, that's a shame. And go on about his business and schedule a tea time. No. He stopped. The Bible says he wept. He mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. It was the good hand of God that touched that man and burdened his heart so that he had a desire to see God's work go forward, so that he had a desire to see God be glorified. And I want to ask you a question. Do you have that desire? If you do, it is because of God's good hand upon your life. Oh, as we, as we go through this story, we see that it was the good hand of God that opened the heart of the king to allow Nehemiah to speak openly about his burden. It was the good hand of God that gave Nehemiah favor with the king so that the king allowed Nehemiah himself to leave his position, an important position, and go to the city of Jerusalem to rebuild those walls. The only way you can explain that is God. 
The king said, you're going to need building supplies. Here's my Lowe's card. Take it. Nehemiah said, I need some documents because there are enemies along the way and they're going to try to tell me I'm not doing what you want done. So would you sign these? He said, here's your passport. He said, by the way, there's a lot of enemies out there. They're going to try to take my life. Can you give me some guards? He said, here's the soldiers. Can I tell you, it was the good hand of God that did all of that. The good hand of God was at work. How has the good hand of God been at work in your life? To speak to you, to touch you, to draw you to himself. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior, but today the good hand of God is working in your life because you're beginning to think about your soul and you're beginning to think about eternity and you're beginning to think about your sin and you're beginning to think about how is it that I can be right with God. Hey, that's the good hand of God and he's at work in your life. Or you're a church member and you've been here for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, I don't know how long, but here's what I can tell you. It's only by the good hand of God that you're here today. The love of Jesus to redeem you. The work of the Holy Spirit to draw you to him. And here you are. Everything's not perfect in your life. Everything's not what it ought to be. But I'm going to tell you, you've got a home in heaven. Your sins are forgiven. And oh, we all have a list of complaints and problems. But I want to tell you, our list of blessings, uh, it it makes those problems pale in comparison. I I think of the words of Paul, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them who love him. Oh, friend, God's been good. What a wonderful song to sing on a day like this. God's been good, and God's hand has been good. And by the way, from that day forward, when he met with those men, God's hand is still going to be at work because here's what we're going to see, that God is going to provide Nehemiah with the wisdom to determine how the reconstruction of the wall should be carried out. He's a cupbearer. He's not a wall builder. I mean, that'd be like me trying to, you know, go perform brain surgery. I, I don't know how to do that. Any volunteers? I'd like to try here this guy is, he, he's an administrative person. He, he's the cupbearer. Now he's going to be supervising and superintending the reconstruction of the walls. He can't do it without God and God's good hand. Those men in Jerusalem for 12 years hadn't done a thing, hadn't lifted one finger to rebuild those walls. Not one. They, they laid dormant for 13 years after they rebuilt the temple. They tried to rebuild the walls, but they gave up. They just kind of gotten used to it. But God's good hand stirred those men and they did something that in 52 days they hadn't been able to do in 13 years. Rebuild those walls. Hey, that was God's hand, friend. Now the enemy, boy, when the enemy found out, the enemy got upset. The enemy got really upset. Look at it, if you would, please, in verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Now, look, if you would, please, in, in verse number, 
in verse number 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite heard of it, that Nehemiah has come into town, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Can I say this to you? Anytime that you and I decide that we are going to get involved in God's good work, that we're going to witness to somebody, we're going to tell somebody about Jesus, we're going to have a family altar and, and try to have devotions and teach our children the truth. When we decide that we're going to pray uh, more faithfully and we're going to read our Bible every day, when we decide that we're going to tithe our income and, and support the work of, of worldwide missions, when we decide we're going to serve God in his local church, can I tell you that Sanballat will always be around along with Tobiah and they'll be grieved. It will grieve them. And here's this crazy group that wants to preach about Jesus and tell people what the Bible has to say. And they're going to need the good hand of God to help them continue and, and, and enable them to face the enemy and, and enable them to have discernment to avoid the entrapments of the enemy. And then they're going to need God's good hand to strengthen those workers who will get discouraged, who will become divided at times. They need the good hand of God to strengthen them to do the work. And can I tell you, God's good hand was firm and strong and steady on those people and they were able to complete the work. You see, here we see the hand of God. But let me give you the second thing. And that is the heart of man. Look, if you would, please, in verse number 12. The Bible said, And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. Nehemiah did not come to Jerusalem to do what he had in his heart to do. Nehemiah came to Jerusalem to do what God had in his heart to do. You know, there are many times when, when I meet people and you meet people and, and we see people and they say, this is in my heart to do it. Well, the test is, is it consistent with what's in God's heart? What is your motive for serving God? What has spurred you on? You see, here we find the hand of God touches the heart of a man. And what that man has is not a heart that is uh, given over to what he desires. It is a heart that is given over to what God desires. Amen. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Amen. That means when I love God the way I ought to love him, that means he's going to take his desire, what's in his heart, and he's going to put it in mine. And Nehemiah said, when I came to Jerusalem, there was something I didn't tell him at first. I did not tell him what my God had put in my heart to do. Because Nehemiah couldn't do it alone, could he? You see, not only did God have to put it in Nehemiah's heart, he had to put it in their hearts. He had to put it in their hearts. And so here we see the heart of a man. <clears throat> now, Nehemiah is a man who stirred. If you read chapter 1, and I encourage you to do that, we're going to find out that Nehemiah was concerned. You know, most, most people today aren't very concerned. 
do, do you look at world events and, and, and what's going on in our country and the hatred and animosity that there is and, and the contempt that there is for biblical Christianity? And do you, are you concerned? Are you concerned? I'm concerned. And, and he was concerned, and so he asked. And when he asked, he didn't just, you know, put a tweet out about it. He wept. He mourned. He didn't put a Facebook post out about it. He fasted, and he prayed. He got a hold of the only one who could do anything about it, and that was God. His heart was stirred. God stirred his heart. The Bible says in Philippians 2 and verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If you have a desire to do something for God, it's because God put it there. His heart was stirred. His heart was surrendered. He surrendered his life. In chapter 2, the Bible tells us he was sad in the countenance of the king. Verses 1 through 3. Now look, if you're the cupbearer, you could not be sad in the presence of the king because the king could look at you and wonder what's going on. And he, he, he had to have confidence in you because you're his number one man. But he's sad. Do you understand that back then that could have cost him his life? But the burden for the work of God was more important to him. He surrendered his life. His life. You see, he was surrendered. Not only was he stirred, but he was surrendered. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 39, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Amen. The question about you and I is whose life is it? Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul said, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus laid down his life for me. Now I need to surrender my life to him. But most times we find that the problem comes in the life of the believer when we're not living surrendered to him, we're living for self. In other words, our plans, our agenda is more important than his plans and his agenda. Church is sort of like an addendum onto our lives. And if, I, if it fits in my schedule and I have time, I'll go. And I might give if I got a little money left over at the end of the month. That's not the surrendered life. That's just sort of adding God on like a tip of the hat. Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay a little tribute to you every once in a while. You can't do the work of God with that level of commitment. He surrendered his life. He surrendered it. Paul said, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He said, look, I don't count my life dear unto myself. I'm giving my life to Jesus. It's his life. I belong to him. He purchased me, and now I want to serve him. He surrendered his comfort. He had a really good job. He had a really good position, but he was willing to leave it and go and do the work of God. He surrendered his possessions in chapter 6, or uh, chapter number 5 rather, I think it is in verse 14 through 19. The Bible tells us that Nehemiah, he did not, uh, he did not charge the people. Uh, he, he did not try to profit off of them. There were those rulers who did try to profit off of the people. He said, I did not do that. You see, the, there's something meant more to him than money, and that was Jesus. You see, the hand of God touched the heart of a man. 
And his heart was stirred. His heart was surrendered. And his heart was steadfast. You know, the greatest thing I see about Nehemiah is that he stayed on the job. So many people aren't willing to stay on the job. A lot of people are willing to start. What's the pay? What's the benefits? Is it going good for me? Does this thing fit into what my view of life is? I'm excited about it. Well, that excitement wears off, doesn't it? Well, the enemy comes in and the enemy begins to work. Ooh, I didn't expect this. I don't like this. Why, why is this happening? Maybe I need to find something else to do. No. There's nothing else to do. This is the work of God. And we're all in it together. And we have to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hey, that visit you made last Tuesday night, it's not vain. That prayer you made for those kids in your class, that's not in vain. That song you sang, that's not in vain. That time you were in the choir practice, that's not in vain. That person you greeted at the door, hey, that is not in vain. That gospel tract that you gave, that dollar that you invested so that people like Randy Shook can get into the mission field. Can I tell you something? That's not in vain. But the devil will try to tell you it was. That's why we have to be steadfast. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. You see, the hand of God touched the heart of a man. Let me give you the last thing. The hope of a people. The hope of a people. You see, there is a world out there today that is without God and dying and going to hell for all eternity. And the hope they have is in Jesus. And most of them don't know it. And many of them would say, no, that's not right. But I can tell you that doesn't change the reality that it is their only hope. Now our theme here at Tabernacle this year, members of his body. The Bible teaches us that the church is the local, visible, physical body of Jesus. He, he's, he has ascended up into the heavens, but he dwells within the lives and hearts of his believers. And he says, this church is my body. You are members, this is his words, not mine, members of his body. Amen. And so if Hickory, North Carolina is gonna see Jesus, if they're gonna hear Jesus, if they're gonna embrace Jesus, then that has to be through this local, visible, physical assembly as we represent Jesus on a daily basis in our community. And that is the only hope for Hickory. And that's the only hope for the world. You see, these people were in distress. Notice verse 17. Then said I unto them, that is the men of Jerusalem, ye see the distress that we're in. Oh, that's one of our biggest problems. We don't see it. We don't see it. He said, you see the distress that we're in. How Jerusalem lieth waste. The gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. Do you know that the citizens inside the walls of that city were in great danger because the enemy had no problem getting in? 
And can I tell you, we've allowed the enemy to infiltrate our homes, our churches, our nation to the point now where there's so many lives that have been carried away captive by the devil. Do you see the distress that we're in? The only hope that our kids have, the only hope that this community has, the only hope that you have if you don't know Jesus is to put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ to repent of your sin and turn to him and come by faith to Jesus. That's the only hope. And that is the only hope of, of this community. And we are the people, we are the people who need to look around and, and get our eyes off of ourselves and, and begin to look around at what's really happening among the people and the residents of this community and our nation and and decide together that we're going to rise up and we're going to build for the glory of God. And I got good news for you. It doesn't depend on us. It depends on him. Because he said, I will build my church. I will build it. But he wants to build it through us. You see, these people were suffering what we don't know and what we don't have glimpses of and portraits of are the homes in that city whose lives have been destroyed because of the enemy. But we can look around our city and we see the effects of alcoholism. We see the effects of drug addiction. We see the effects of greed. We see the effects of, of, of uh, lust and adultery and fornication. We see the damage that it does. And we see how that Satan reaches his tentacles into the homes and destroys marriages and destroys the lives of children and blinds them to the heart of the message of the gospel and condemns souls to hell. They were suffering. And while they were suffering, they were also sleeping. You see, because the ones that were going to get in, the ones that knew God, they'd fallen asleep. They'd gotten used to it. They got used to those, those walls being broken down. They got used to all that rubble. It didn't bother them. You know, the greatest sin of our day, I believe, is apathy. Indifference. We've heard it all. We've seen it all. Nothing can shock us. That's just the way it is. We're just going to hold on till Jesus comes. And by the way, we should hold on till Jesus comes. But we should also occupy until Jesus comes. We should keep serving the Lord. I, I'm thankful Pastor Shook is here, served as a pastor of this church. Aren't you glad, Brother Shook, for George Cooper, that he didn't just fall asleep? He came to this town, he preached the gospel, had a tent meeting, and God saved souls, and a church began because of that. And for 70-some years, we're still doing what we've always been doing. I pray that God would stir us that we would do even more. Amen. It's the hope of a people. And it's the only hope of a people. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Friend, one moment in hell, a lifetime on earth will be forgotten. It won't matter. They were sleeping. But thanks be unto God, God stirred them. And the Bible said they were strengthened. So we strengthened our hands for this good work. Oh, you know what we need to do? We need to strengthen our hands for this good work. 
We need to look at each other and say, man, I'm praying for you. Thank God for you. That song was a blessing. I appreciate your faithfulness. You're always at that door. Thank you for handing me that, that, uh, that bulletin each Sunday. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being faithful. Look, we ought to look at each other that way. And encourage one another. And strengthen one another's hands. Not weaken one another's hands. Not tear down one another's hands. Because there's too much at stake. Too much at stake. Nehemiah said the hand. The hand of my God. Was good upon me. I just want to tell you. I just want to testify. The hand of my God. Has been good upon me. And he's been good upon you. Amen. And maybe today you don't know him, but you sense in your heart he's touching you. He wants to draw you to himself so that you can be saved. Would you come to Jesus today? There are people here who have a Bible who can show you from the word of God how you can have your sin forgiven, how you can enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus, how you can dwell with him forever in heaven, and how you can escape hell. And all you gotta do is come. Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be saved. All you've got to do is, is by faith receive him and believe. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no, there's no program you've got to get involved in. There, there's no works you have to do. You just have to believe and trust. And then church, has God's hand been good upon you? Has he touched your heart? Maybe today, you say, my heart's gotten cold. I, I'm like those guys. I, I've fallen asleep. I, I've just kind of given up on this whole thing. I don't need to give up on this thing. I want God to touch my heart. I want to surrender to him. Why don't you make a surrender of your life? He that findeth his life shall lose it, but he that loseth it shall keep it. Give it to Jesus. Only one life will soon be passed. Only which is done for Christ will last. Surrender to Jesus. It's not about my comfort. It's not about my possessions. It's not about my goals. It's all about him. And when it's not all about him, there is no peace and contentment and joy. And the reason many don't have it is because it's not all about him in their life. It's all about them. And you'll never be satisfied as long as it's all about you. And then the hope of the people. Let's strengthen our hands together. Let's rise up and build. Let's see God. Let's pray that God, let's stay humble. Let's stay right before God and pray that God will bless and touch this church for the glory of God, that many, many souls will be saved and that our kids will have a heritage that they can continue in until Jesus comes. The hand of my God was good upon me. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.